my sleep. And thank you all for showing up, the rest of you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Paul's probably the happiest, yeah. probably. <laughs> At any rate, uh, good to see you all on a wintry day. Let's go to the book of Mark. We've been studying through Mark the last uh, week of Jesus' life, Passion Week as we know it to be. But let's go to Mark chapter 14. We'll be reading verses 32 through 42. The time in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mark chapter 14, beginning now at verse 32. They came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, Sit you here while I pray. He taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed, and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch you and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit is truly ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. He cometh the third time. And saith unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest, it is enough. The hour is come, behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. May God add a special blessing to reading of his word. And let us just pause for prayer prior to our study today together. Father God, it is with a great deal of honor and admiration that you have allowed us to be in your word, to be gathered together here, to know that you're amongst us, for you to care enough to give us the truth, for you to love us beyond measure. These moments that we've read of Jesus over 2,000 years ago, a high point of agony, and yet in that agony, his compassion was overwhelming. Father, may we see you more clearly than we've ever seen you. May we see Jesus more than we've ever seen him. Father, do it exclusively through the power of the Holy Spirit. We rest on you. We look to you for guidance, encouragement, direction, and wisdom. We pause and bow at your feet in humility, knowing without you we are nothing, but with you. We are strong. In Christ's name, we pray, amen. Well, here we are gathered once again, uh, moving through at what would seem like an alarmingly slow pace, <laughs> but it's been, uh, for myself, uh, it's been very engaging. Uh, the study time that I've had has been rewarding, and I hopefully that as you pray about God's Word being expressed, that you as well have been blessed by it. Well, here we are. Uh, we found last week that 
literally the disciples were told, uh, last, not last week in Jesus' Passion Week, but last week we were together, that literally Jesus Christ told his disciples upon leaving the upper room, uh, that picture on the wall isn't exactly that way, but it was their last time together, the time of communion, time of the Last Supper, whatever you'd like to call it, and there was 12 disciples there. One of them left early. He was the one that would be betraying Jesus. Jesus the only one knowing that. This is the other part we talked about last week and even in weeks previous. Uh, Jesus knew everything that was going to happen before it happened. I'm really thankful I don't know everything that's going to happen to me before it happens. I couldn't take it. It would be too much. It would be too much over the top. And yet Jesus, in all of that knowing that, and today is probably what we're going to study today, is maybe the most overwhelming thing for me to literally see his compassion in the intense agony that he was involved with. I'm going to just say this now, but it, it's all throughout this. But literally, this point right now is Satan's highest level of temptation that's ever come to Jesus. Satan has never wanted Jesus on the cross. Never. Because if he was on the cross, he was dying for sinners. If he's dying for sinners, you and I and everyone else that receives Christ, his grace by faith, has an eternity that's focused and finished because of that final cost to Jesus. He's been trying for a long time, Satan has for that matter, to keep Jesus off the cross. Uh, his temptation that was in the wilderness, Jesus had been there for 40 days, no eating. Try that for a while. <laughs> I call that fasting, I call it starving. <laughs> <laughs> and what would be Satan's first order of business? Well, actually, Jesus, why should you be hungry? You're the Son of God. Make those, you can do it. You, you're, it's possible for you. Just make those rocks into bread. But the last temptation is the one that literally is the one that Satan really wanted to get. Uh, let's go there for a moment. Uh, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to just dial in for a moment. Uh, if you'd like, uh, Matthew chapter 4 beginning at verse 1 would be a good place for you to read. But we're going to dive right in and go to verse 8. Verse 8 of Matthew chapter 4, this was his third attempt to tempt Jesus after coming out of the wilderness. It says again, verse 8, The devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All of these things will I give you, if you will fall down and worship me. In other words, you don't need to die, you don't need to do any of that stuff, I'll just give all of this world to you. Just worship me. It's, it's easy. Just bow your knee to me. No dying necessary. In fact, remember the previous temptation? It was He took him to the pinnacle of the temple. In fact, uh, Laramie, I, did you get that loaded, that one uh, picture or the, of the temple? Okay, I don't know how well you can see this, and I don't know where my pointer is. But Oh, right here? Oh, you're, you know where it's at. Good for you. Uh, here we go. All right. So if you think about this, even the, the, the temptation before that, he, he had taken him. Do you see this right here? The pinnacle of the temple. Uh, Satan had taken him to that point. It was very high up. And literally, he said, why don't you just dive off? And then the angels will catch you, and you will look. I mean, you look Messiah worthy then if you literally at the temple would cast yourself off. The angels save you. You could be the Messiah forever. <laughs> Jesus said, no, that's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. Uh, see, I've got to literally die. I came for a reason. I came for a purpose. I'm the Passover lamb. I'm the reason 
that God made his plan of salvation. But that, that happened right there, Pinnacle of the Temple. Uh, he's taking him to a high mountain. He's promising him everything. And let's just get our, our boundaries, so to speak. If you, uh, right here, what, again, I'm not here to say that's exactly where the upper room is, where they were gathered for the evening, Thursday night. But it's possible. But they probably would have, would have exited either through the water gate or probably even went in. Guess where they're going? They're going to cross the Kidron Brook. Brook. And you see, this is where Gethsemane is, right here. It's on the Mount of Olives, which Jesus has been, remember Matthew chapter 24, 25, talked about his second coming. He's on the side of the Mount of Olives, talking about where the second coming, it's on the very place he's giving them instructions. This is, it's, it's amazing how everything just fits together. This Gethsemane is where they're at tonight. It's actually probably about midnight Friday morning. It's late. They've had a long day. In fact, you can tell from the disciples, our first indication, they fell asleep, right? Their eyes are heavy. But just keep that in mind. That's not the reason they fell asleep. It may surprise you why they were falling asleep. Uh, as you keep this all in mind, this has been going on for the week. On Sunday, I'm sorry, on, on Monday, he was crowned king by the people. Jesus, that is. Tuesday, first order of business went to the temple. He went right in there. He cleared this baby out. <laughs> he said, enough's enough. Quit doing business in my father's house, which is a house of prayer. Tuesday and Wednesday, probably the most grandiose days in the temple for literally centuries that God's word was being taught by God's son. How would you like to have been there? I would have. <laughs> I would have liked to have just soaked that in to hear the word of God coming from Jesus, God's son, as he starts to clear away all of the stuff. Wednesday was a really, really long day. We took how many weeks to get through Wednesday? It was a lot. You guys are shaking your head. It went on forever. And Thursday was a time in the morning it seemed like it was just catching up, refreshing. And then that night, Thursday night, they had the Passover meal, potentially in that upper room. Jesus actually, uh, I don't know if I gave this assignment to you last week or the week before, but the specialness of that evening. These are, these are the last moments that Jesus would be alone. Now, remember how secretive he was in not telling the disciples where they were going to gather? He didn't give them an address. He didn't tell them where they were going to meet. I think for a very, very important reason. Judas had already made up his mind he was going to sell Jesus out. He'd had enough. I, I can't grasp. I, I, it's hard for me. And yet I look around the world and I see the power of wealth and what it does to human minds and souls. Judas sold out the Son of God for the price of a slave, 30 pieces of silver. And it was more important to him to have 30 pieces of silver in his hand than to follow God's Son. But he'd made that decision. He was ready to sell him out. But if Jesus would have told him, why don't you just go to this place, street name, street address, guess who would have been there in the evening of Thursday. Because the chief priests and Pharisees had decided already they will kill Jesus. They will get him, but they certainly can't do it this week. In fact, the scripture says it. We can't take him this week because there's too much potential of riot. There's too many people that, I mean, we crowned him king on Monday, people. Even Satan misunderstood the fickleness of man's heart. On this day that Jesus has just begun, now he's in midnight, 
in that frame between midnight and 3 o'clock Friday morning. By 9 o'clock that morning, people will say, crucify him. But Satan didn't want him on that tree. He didn't want him on that cross. John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 were all given after the Last Supper. You read those chapters with that in mind, and it's amazing how much Jesus Christ loved those disciples. He wanted them to be prepared for what would come. He wanted them to know how much he loved them. Think of this for a moment. And yet we haven't even gotten there yet. I, I, I already apologize. I can't get you to the level of agony that my Savior, Jesus Christ, was suffering on that night at midnight at Gethsemane. I can't get you there. I have no idea. But keeping that in mind, did you see how many times he came back for those... Dis- how many times? I'm holding three fingers up. <laughs> three times in being the most agonizing, nearing death, even in his own words... He is sweating literal blood. And he would, oh, I wonder how the disciples are doing. I've got to see if they're watching and praying. He goes back to see how they're doing. That is compassion in the height of agony. Anyone that says Jesus Christ does not love them, they have not read that passage and dug into it, really earth, really mined into it to see that. That is amazing. This is, in fact, he was so close to death. In fact, let's go to the Luke passage for a moment. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, which we've been using plural passages to get ourselves through, to give us more details. Luke chapter 22, and let's take a look at this parallel passage, verse 39, starting in verse 39. He came out and went as he was wont. In other words, this was a custom place. This was a place that they had spent a lot of time. Think of that for, before we go further, let's think of that for a moment. This is a place that was very readily used by the disciples and himself. It would have been on the way back to Bethany. Remember, that's about two miles east of Jerusalem. That was where Martha and Mary and Lazarus lived. But do you think that they had accommodations for 12 disciples? Likely not. But the Garden of Gethsemane, which I believe was privately owned, it was a place that was filled with olive trees. It had an olive press. That's what the word Gethsemane. Did I mention that? Gethsemane means olive press. If you have olives on the mountain, it's a good idea probably to press the olives to get oil, right? I'm just thinking of my Jesus being in Gethsemane. And he was in the press. Literally was in the press. Squeezed so hard, the anguish physically that literally squeezed the blood out of him. I can't even, I can't fathom that. At any rate, uh, now I lost my train of thought. Where was I going? Oh, yeah. It was a familiar, familiar place. Uh, more than likely, there was probably a place in this grove of trees that would have been even accommodations for sleeping. Uh, it was a, a time of year that would have been very much you could be there. And this was a place that Judas would have known where it was at. That's why he showed up there. I'm still not convinced that Judas, he went out before the meal was even finished. Remember, Jesus dipped into the sop that was kind of partway through the meal. And he said, well, you need, you need to get going now. Finish what you're doing. He wouldn't have even known if they had left Judas. So I'm convinced, since he knows where the street address is now, where do you, he thought, where do you think he started with this crescendo of gathering of people, which was probably upwards of 1,000 people? I'm pretty sure they would have checked the upper room first. 
because it's in the middle of the night. This is part of the whole entourage is being to get him secretly. And yet, how do you secretly approach with a thousand men? That I'm pretty sure, I'm getting ahead of myself. As he shows up out there, he knew where he was going. He knew Jesus would be there at Gethsemane. Jesus and the 11 disciples are there at Gethsemane, the place. I'd like you to go to Isaiah for a moment, Isaiah chapter 53. This is a chapter that you really do need to read this week. And not just this week, read it often. It describes for us these moments that Jesus is involved in. I'm going to just read for you verse 3, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. Isaiah 53, 3. He, the Messiah, is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. A man of sorrows. Have you heard that depiction of Jesus? I can't find in this Gospels anywhere, I can't find anywhere it says that Jesus laughed. It doesn't say he was happy. But it says a lot about his sorrow. It says a lot about the fact that he wept. Remember that? He was, he's, when Lazarus, he saw the condition. What was it that caused that? It's the same thing that's the number one problem in the world today. It's not climate change. It's sin. It literally is sin. The same thing was plaguing that area, that country, 2,000 years ago. I marvel, though, at his compassion. Compassion brought Jesus' love. Compassion brought everything that we needed. It took him to the Garden of Gethsemane that night was his compassion, his love, and the fact that God, his word had said that he would be doing this. As I've said earlier, this is probably, it's not probably, I believe that this is the greatest temptation that Jesus ever faced on earth was right here in these hours. What in the world are you talking about, Larry? I thought he had, yes, that was the outset of his ministry. Satan took a whack at him three times. The second time that we see Satan actually entering in temptation in regards to Jesus Christ, let's go, we've talked about it on numerous occasions. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Satan is, is named, if you will, from a message that Peter is stating. And suffice it to say in verses 13 through 20, uh, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered brilliantly, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, verse 16. He got it right. He was like, that's like touchdown, right? I mean, like nailed it. Good job, Peter. And then just moments later, verse 21 takes place. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and to be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him, Jesus, and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it, not, be it far from you, Lord, this shall not be unto you. Then he, Jesus, turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. There's no question Satan did not want Jesus Christ on that cross. And on this night, the third time, literally, and the height of the temptations that are coming from Satan is in this time at the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, it's really hard for us to get a grip. When you're tempted, you're tempted by three things. The pride of the flesh, or the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
somewhere a temptation that gets you to be unrighteous, to be unholy, everything that sucks you away from who God is, it's somewhere in that loop. Now, we know that Jesus was sinless. In fact, uh, if you're struggling with the fact, how could God be tempted? God can't be tempted. James chapter 1, verse 13, it says, God cannot be tempted. So how could Jesus be tempted? He's all human. Thankfully, he's all man. Uh, or we would be lost here. If Jesus Christ, all man, had not died for us, we, I could not stand before you today. It'd be pointless. I would be, leading, I would be telling you a lie. But he was. And in everything it says in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 14, that in all points he was tempted just as us. I mean, what a great guy. Jesus, you don't, yes, you do understand. This temptation on this night in the Garden of Gethsemane is above and beyond anything that he's ever had to endure. Because it's written in the scriptures that he must die. He must be our redeemer. God said that. That was planned before the foundation of the world. And on this night, we would be tempted by to do wrong from the power of sin. Jesus is actually because of the power of holiness. It is so overwhelming for him to be a sin bearer. It would have been so easy. I say this carefully because he didn't. He couldn't. Otherwise, God's word. In fact, if Jesus hadn't done what was going to happen, hell would be full, heaven would be empty, the Bible would be a lie, and Satan wins. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. That's all I've got to say. But he was tempted with the power of his holiness. I can't imagine the struggle that he must have had internally to carry the weight of eternal, eternal damnation of the cause of sin, that the cup of God, it's, he calls it the cup, the cup of the wrath of God, what had to be poured out, had to be drunk by Jesus himself. Ah, what was that like? I don't know. I have no idea. I can't capture it. But to be perfectly sinless, perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, and to just know that in hours, forget about the betrayal. Now, by the way, he should be sorry for a lot of reasons. Let's talk about those for a moment. If you were Jesus Christ, just slip into his sandals. I can get you here because you have some of the same things that happened to you. Being betrayed by a very close, dear friend. I say that carefully. And then was betrayed. We'll see this next week, Lord willing. Betrayed him with a kiss. Ah, that's as treacherous as one can imagine. It wasn't just from behind a bush. There he is. Go get him. No, he walked up to him and hugged him and gave him a kiss. That's Judas Iscariot. He knew it was coming. That would make me sad. Have you been betrayed by a best friend? Maybe even betrayed by someone that's not your best friend. How much fun is that? It's not at all. That's a sorrowful moment. How about his disciples? And we're trying to have a serious time, right? It's the last time we're going to be together. Jesus knows that. We'll never be together again until, literally, we're 2,000 years and counting. Jesus knew the significance of that. Those guys, what are they doing? Oh, John, I'm better than you are. No, you're not, Peter. You're just a loud mouth. And this is going on in the same time. It's going crazy. The overconfidence, the prideful, the arrogance that must, and it's Jesus must just be saying, no, guys, no. That had to make him sorry, didn't it? In fact, he broke through that, and we've talked about it lots of times. He got down and washed their feet. Jesus washed their feet. That must have broken the moment. <laughs> they're still there still going all they could see was for themselves the kingdom to them was themselves how can we be a judas iscariot really literally why is he hanging on to jesus 
for power and money. How many people today are living on this earth for power and for money? Large majority. Large majority. Politically, I just look at where we are. I look at our world. I look at, at, at all of that. The lack of truth, the lack of justice. Most of that revolves around the same thing that Adam and Eve sold out. They sold out to themselves. The God of self is ruling and reigning in this world today. At an all-time level. It's not new. It's going to continue to the very end. And Jesus came in the middle. I, mean, I say the middle because it's the middle of the book. And he died for all of that. If he hadn't died, I have nothing but bad news for you. Hell is full. Heaven's empty. The Bible's a lie. And Satan wins. Right here at this moment is where this decision is made. And you say, what do you mean? Yes, at this point, right now, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the darkness of that night, in the olive press, if you will, the Garden of Olive Press, Jesus has come to the full fruition of making the decision to follow through on what God has said would happen. Just, just soak in that for a moment. It's right here. When he leaves this garden, even though he's betrayed, there's no way out at this point. He's determined to stay right there. Are you starting to get a, I can't give it to you fully. Can, have, you're starting to see what Jesus went through for you and for me? We have no hope if Jesus doesn't follow through. If Jesus is not on the cross, then Satan wins. Satan has tried in numerous ways to keep him off the cross. The one that seems to be a little bit weird is the one that says at the end of Thursday evening that Satan entered into Judas. How many times have you read that? Well, that, to, to get him betrayed. Jesus gave himself. Why would you need a thousand guys? And that's about what it is probably. The Roman brought a, a whole group that would mean 600. You have all of the other entourage. They've got torches and they've got weapons and they've got... Why would you need that? Think with me. Do you think they grabbed Jesus? He says, why didn't you take me in the temple? I was there all week. I was right there. Why didn't they? Because there was a massive riot. Why do you think those 1,000 people are there? Because of a potential of a massive riot. But Judas is ready to go. He's ready to give them Jesus. Satan would rather preempt it. He would rather be premature because the riot would keep Jesus from going to a cross. He actually believed, I believe Satan believed, that on Friday, the next day, this day actually, there's no way that Jesus would be hanging on a cross to be the Passover lamb for that event on that day. There's too many people that crowned him king on Monday. Even Satan missed the human heart. Ponder that for a moment. That's despicable desperateness, isn't it? And it's the same world we live in today. Are you surprised by what men and women can do today? I'm not. It's not flesh and blood. It's the spirit. In fact, it reminds me of a, Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. I'm sorry, four, we'll, go, we'll start in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, uh, we're walking in a world, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's a spiritual warfare. It's a spiritual thing. 
Jesus' temptation was to say, no, I can't do this. And we can gloss over that. I can't imagine how much pressure there was for him to go ahead and say, you know what, I can't do this. I've put in my three years. I've taught to people. I've showed them my power, right? Power over demons, power over sickness, power over death, power over everything. Either they get it or they don't get it. I'm gone. <laughs> that means we're gone. That's what that means. But he went ahead and took a statement, took a, took a position. He said, you know, it's not really my will. The surrender of his will to the Father's is what allows me to stand before you today and say, because of what Jesus accomplished, you can have eternity in heaven with him forever if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Physical death means nothing. Thankfully, right? Because I looked at the obituaries and there's every day. It's something I will succumb to as well. Provided Jesus Christ doesn't come back and I meet him in the air in the rapture. I'm praying for that, by the way. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. But it will be at just the perfect time, one that no one will know, no one will recognize, no one will be able to even predict. And I'm thankful for that as well. But what are we to be? This is something, this is Jesus' message to the disciples. It's the same for us. In fact, in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse, talking about his coming again, that was what the disciples asked. Literally, what was the message? Watch and pray. That parable of the ten virgins that we find in Matthew, it has to do with him coming the second time. That's the time frame. That's the context. It has nothing to do with us now, but those that will be waiting for him in the second coming, there will be two kinds of people, just like there are today. Those that are saved, those that are not saved. Those that have the Spirit, those that don't have the Spirit. And if you're saved, you have the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. No questions about it. But if you don't have Jesus, you will be left behind. That's, that's cut and dried. That's not up to me. It doesn't matter what I say. What does the Bible say? And everything the Bible has said thus far in this thing we call planet Earth, as it's unfolding, is his story unfolding. Eternity is what we see in the future. It's amazing. And that Jesus on that night, I still am just amazed by this. That, that uh, condition where literally, if you, would have see, if, you would have, if you would have approached Jesus as Judas came to Jesus on that night, Jesus would have looked bloodied. Bloodied. He was sweating blood. Hematotrosis is the name of that condition. Hematotrosis. Tetrosis. Hematidrosis. The small capillary vessels that are close to your sweat glands, those under mental anguish, physical, literal anguish, will burst, and it's like you are sweating blood. I can't, I don't know how to describe that. That is as close to, in fact, he said he was close to death. I think I told you to go to Luke, and then I, I think that was another place I got off on. There's so much going on in my mind. I just, I want to share all of this, and here we go. But let's go to Luke chapter 22, and let's take a look. I, oh, I know. We didn't get through it, did we? We started and we read two words, and then I told you it was a familiar place. Okay. I, I know where we're at now. We've spent a lot of time getting there, but let's go on. Verse 39. He went to the Mount of Olives. His disciples also followed him. And when he was at that place, he said unto them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. We'll come back to that. 
And he was withdrawn then about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. In this Garden of Gethsemane, now think of this, this is how it kind of went out. As they came into the entrance of the Garden of Gethsemane, eight of the disciples were left there. They were just, he said, stay here and watch. Then he takes Peter, James, and John, the, you know, the upper three or whatever you want to call them, and he takes them further in. And he said, guys, I want you to stay here. Watch. That's the first time that he's there. He says to watch. Okay? And then it says a stone's throw, and I don't know, depends on who you are, but if you launch a stone, what is that? 30 yards maybe? I know I'm not talking really getting back and hurling, but, you know, a stone's throw. That's how far Jesus went beyond those guys. So you see it? He's a little deeper into the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where that's at. Let's keep going. So we have <clears throat> verse 41. He was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That's the petition. That's the supplication, if you will. That's the require. That, that's what he's asking. And there appeared, look at this. There appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. Did you see that? This is blood that's literally falling to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping. Uh-oh, did you see this? For what? For sorrow. You mean it's not because they're wore out, not they're weary? Why would they be? What are they sorry about? They're not going to go to a cross. Well, just a minute now. Jesus had really blown their little dreams up, hadn't he? He says, I, Jesus, am going to be betrayed. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be buried, and then I'll rise again. Well, wait a minute. Peter, of course, he rebuked him, and he was told, no, that's Satan's plan not to put me on the cross. Uh, what do you think they're thinking now? <sighs> now what? You've watched this whole week unfold? You would have to be foolish not to know that by Tuesday or Wednesday... The entire religious community hates Jesus Christ with a passion. They don't even know about Judas yet. They haven't even seen him. In fact, they're moments away from seeing him. And yet you'd have to know that they are so incredibly grieved by all of this kingdom stuff that's not coming to fruition. Right? And it's been going on for a while. Are they tired? They're tired because they're sorrowful. Very dangerous place for us to be. Look at us for the, same, for the same reason. Jesus says something that's very, very interesting. Remember when the disciples asked him how to pray? We call it the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer. Part of that is, and lead us not into temptation. But one thing I can guarantee you for myself, I'm pretty sure that it'll be for you, when you fall into temptation, I'm pretty sure you weren't praying. Because if I'm praying, I'm focused on God. When I'm focused on God, I'm not focused on the temptation. That's what Jesus is saying, isn't it? Watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. What is their temptation? Well, there's a number of them. One of which is, again, I think the fault of, I fall into it myself, overconfidence. You, be, you want Satan to get the upper hand, go ahead and be arrogant, prideful, or overconfident. Think you've got it figured out. Think you know what's going on. Think you can handle it. I know how. I can get through. Anytime I starts a sentence, it's usually deep trouble. Satan has the upper hand. He's in charge. He's winning. Jesus knew that. Well, by the way, guys, you guys are all going to deny me before the rooster crows tomorrow morning at 3 o'clock. Somewhere between 3 and 6. When that rooster crows, 
Peter, Peter, you are going to deny me three times. That is not possible. <laughs> When's the last time you argued with Jesus? When's the last time you argued with God? You are wrong if you argue with God. How many of your life actions have been in complete denial or I'll show you? And it doesn't have to be in those words, but just your actions tell us or tell him, who do you believe? Well, those disciples weren't, they were in a bad spot. They were in a really bad spot. He said, guys, listen. And why did he say that to the three? Because those are the guys of which the other disciples would learn from. Now, one of the unfortunate best ways to learn, not recommended, but the best way to learn is through failure. <laughs> is it not true? Sometimes, in fact, uh, football teams particularly I'm thinking of, some of the best things they can do is to watch how poorly they played the week before. Game films. Looking at, at film. We stunk, right? But to just say that you stunk isn't enough. Why? What did we do? What did we fail to do? And when you look at the game film, oh, did you? I can't believe I didn't catch that. I'm here to say that Peter, through failure, and again, I can't imagine what he felt, denied Jesus three times in a matter of a couple of hours. Some say, well, he was following from a distance. No, no, no. Remember, the scripture said in Zechariah 13, 7, that all of the sheep would be scattered. That's what the word said. Peter had no business following at all. He wasn't ready to be there. And as he denied Jesus the last time, it says in one of the Gospels, and Jesus turned and looked at him. <laughs> Have you ever denied him and you could feel Jesus' look at you? Ah, right? Ah, ah. But one of the greatest verses that we have in the scripture about Satan that's seeking to devour you, you know where we're going now, was written by Peter who failed miserably. Let's go to that verse. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. If you failed, it's okay. 1 Peter 5, chapter 5, verse 8. Now, again, what do we, stop, before we even go there, what do you know, let's describe Peter for me. Give me, give me Peter. What, what does Peter look like? If, you, if you'd see him in a crowd, what would he act like? What would he be like? Excuse me? Probably, yeah, because remember we talked about him, uh, uh, this is later in John chapter 21, and they were fishing. Remember that? And, and Jesus, they're fishing all night. This is, this, to me, is hum this is absolutely humorous, right? So they're fishing all night. Peter's given up. They've all just given up. We're gone. Jesus isn't around. We gotta, let's go back to what we do. We fish. Let's go fish. So they fish all night long. They get you a big, fat zero. That would be like me fishing all the time. I don't know how to fish. I don't know anything about it. And there's Jesus on the shore. And he says, did you guys catch anything? Who's that guy? <laughs> Throw your net on the other side of the boat. I can just see it. Can't you just see it? They're standing, they're almost standing in the boat. Who is this guy? We're commercial fishermen. We know how to fish. This is what we do. And no, we didn't do very well. And well, what do we got to lose? Throw it over the, and it almost takes the boat down because there's so many fish. In fact, I think it's 300 and some. I don't remember the number, right? And then Peter says, it is the Lord. And he jumps out of the boat and takes off to find his Jesus, right? 
And then if you read on, it's something we miss. Peter himself literally drags the net with 300 fish and drags it up to the shore. So I'm with Jerry. This guy was probably a brute. He was strong. He was physically strong. What else could we say about him? <laughs> I would change the little, say much outspoken, right? Okay. What else? Very confident. Very confident. I mean, you, you knew what Peter thought. You knew what he was thinking. There was no, there was no you didn't have to apply anything. He, he would tell you, right? Look at that. I mean, he rebuked Jesus. Think of that for a second. Poof, right out of the box. He, he was there, right? He was there. Yeah, that old put your foot in your mouth kind of a thing. Yeah, he had, he had the shoe print. I think there's a shoe print right there in his face, right? Yeah. What else? Oh, he did, didn't he? he that, now, this is really important. That's really good that came out. Remember what Jesus said? The flesh is weak. The spirit. The spirit. Did Peter want to deny Jesus? No. A thousand times no. This is what's really cool. Even you, when you fail, when you fumble, when you falter, when you deny, whatever it is, oh, oh, that wounds you. You know what? And that's good. That's really good because what it shows you is you're weak. Remember, Paul? When I'm weak, then I'm strong. The first thing to literally having victory is to recognize we are weak. Now, that doesn't sell in the New York Times bestsellers list. I'm sorry, it doesn't. How to look out for a number, how to be powerful, how to be strong, how to be... No, 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 stop. A really good Christian knows they are really weak. That's really what Jesus is saying. You need to watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. You've got to get your eyes on God. You've got to be where he's, his strength is. And Peter, well, but did he get it? Oh, watch this. This is so good. First Peter chapter 5, and I asked you what he was like, and you guys said it in numerous ways. This guy's a little bit pompous, a little bit arrogant, a little bit, you get it, right? Look at this. I don't even know where to start because it's so full, it's so rich. Let's just go to verse 4, chapter 5, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, Jesus Christ, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yes, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with hum the humility word. For God resisteth the proud. Did he get that? And giveth grace to the humble. Verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Colon. Casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Now watch verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant. What is vigilant? Being watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I'm here to say that Peter learned the hard way. How many times do we have to learn the hard way? <laughs> My hand is up. But the key is, when you do fail, you don't need to fail. Learn from that. Those disciples on that, after that night, I think prayer was who they were. It described who they were. They were encased within prayer. You go, to, you go to Acts chapter 1 and you start to watch this church unfold and get started. Those men were in prayer, in teaching. They were getting it right. Ah! 
encouragement is for us that with Jesus, each day is a new day. Let's go back to uh, Mark, Mark chapter 14. Again, verse 34, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry here and watch. He went forward a little, which we found in another passage, was a stone's throw. He fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. There it is. That's the strongest temptation that he's ever faced. God, you can do anything, and if there's any other way, if there's any possible way, then I would just as soon that this cup would pass away or pass, get past me. Now, if you go to the word cup, you'll find in the Old Testament, particularly, it's the cup of God's wrath. That's literally, he is going to partake. He is going to drink the cup of God's wrath. And again, I don't really even know how to describe that to you, but if you think of millions of sinners and the sense of eternal damnation from the justice of sin, that is all in that, that Jesus is going to be bearing that sin. Not just my sin, which, again, would be so weighty, I can't even imagine just me, but the entire world. And he's going to bear that. Now, it is interesting. Even though Satan wanted him to say, no, I, I, I cannot do this. It's just too much. I'm so holy. I'm... And he's not bragging about that. He just is. I'm holy. I'm righteous. I'm God. I can't even think about being approached by sin. I can't get there. Are you starting to get there? See, I don't know what that's like because I'm a sinner. But for God to be approached by being the sin bearer of the world, and then it's even worse to be separated from God. If you follow, the, as we're getting the chronology of noon, of the next day, which we're actually in that day. This is the early morning of Friday. By noon of Friday, he will be hanging on a cross, crucified. But the earth will be dark from noon to three. For three hours, Jesus Christ is alienated. Use that word fully. From God, his Father. There's a term he uses here in chapter 14 and he says in verse 36 Abba Father Abba Father now that's a word that the Israelites would never even use the Jews would never even use that it was too intimate how could you you can't get that close to God in fact theirs was more of a you know it's a real fearful it's by the way God is really powerful very worthy of our awe but to them to be relationally so close that Jesus used the word Abba that's like Aramaic for daddy or papa. It's really, really intimate. It's like literally just running up. It's, I think of, the, of a little boy or a little girl would run up there to their daddy. Oh, daddy, and just hang on. I need you. Right? That's what Jesus is doing that night. He is fell, he's falling on the ground. He's literally pouring out his heart. He said, Abba, Father. Now you're starting to get close, aren't you? Can this... Not be? Is there any other way? Now see, for us, or any cult, or anyone saying anything that there's another way to God, is literally spitting in that Jesus' face on that night. 
that he gave everything. He was sweating to the point of blood bursting in his capillaries. That is in God's face. You talk about arguing with God, anything other than the grace of God is a lie from hell that would come from Satan. Think of that. If there was any other way, don't you think that Jesus would have taken that route? There are those that believe that children are born innocent. Those little boogers have a pretty good straight line of selfishness right out of the box. Mine! 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 Me too! Right? Mine! <laughs> Did it pretty well, didn't I? Yeah. No. In practice, there's 61. Yeah, no, no, no. Are you share? No, right? It's just, it's like, and it is, it's ingrained because that nature of Adam is infused within the entire human race. There's no other way. If there was, if there was a possibility that one person, one person was born innocent to where they literally could be righteous with no sin, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. But he did, for all have sinned, and all have come short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin is death. That's the way it is. It's true. It fits reality. I can't imagine my Savior, the struggle that he must have had on that night. But here's something that in that, I, I, have, I have to show you this. It's not new, but, but just think of this context. Here's Jesus just pouring out his, out his heart to God the Father. I, I, can, I can just, right? Just, this is an intimate moment. And if Jesus needed to pray in difficult times, I think the message is very clear for us. Very clear for us. But take a look at Romans. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and let's read this. You think of that intimate relationship between God the Son, God the Father, and I want you to see how the scriptures from Paul writing in Romans lets us see in. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Did you see that? You see, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, for what he accomplished, when he said it's finished, the power of sin was broken. The penalty of sin was broken. And literally, as he reached out to his father, and I, that relationship, that has so immensely closed, I cannot describe that for you. But as he described his relationship and spoke to his father on that night, the highest level of agony short of being on the cross itself, Abba, Father, we as sons of God, sons and daughters of God, can reach out and say this very same thing, Abba, Father. Those times that you are hurting beyond what you could possibly even describe to any other human being. Those moments that you seem so far from, and I can't describe for you how alone Jesus must have felt that, light, that night. Everyone had, been desert, had deserted him. Everyone had left him. And you say, well, the disciples are there sleeping. <laughs> That's how interested they were in his agony. And yet, in that focus of agony, I have to keep saying this because his compassion through agony is overwhelming. He says, I wonder how the guys are doing. I've got to go check. Oh, guys, you're sleeping. Simon, just one hour? Watch and pray for the temptation will take you. Goes back. 
falls on his knees, and again, it's the same. You can just see the agony that he has. I wonder how the guys are doing. This is not. This is here. Don't miss it. This is so amazing. His compassion in the sense of this highest intense agony, and he goes, "Oh, guys, 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 you're sleeping again. You're not preparing. You're not being watchful. You're not." Goes back, does it again three times. My Jesus loves you more than you could possibly know. At his highest level of agony, aside from being nailed to the cross, that is just pure raw physical agony, I actually would have trouble being told that this agony, this mental, soulish agony that he is right now engaged in has got to be as high as he's ever, ever had. To be alienated from his father. out to his disciples. That, my friends, is love. That is love. Satan, I'm sorry, God, literally, in the condition that Jesus was in, we read that in, in Luke, Jesus was in a condition, literally, I don't think if that angel had come, I don't think Jesus would have made the night. He was sorrowful unto death. God said, I don't know who this angel was, but they're there. They're ready to be commissioned. Who knows if he's used an angel to get you through a very serious condition? That's what they're for. He said, I don't know. I don't know if they have an angel named Bob. I don't want to be sacrilegious, but hey, Bob, right now my son needs you right now. And that angel has said, strengthen him strengthened him for what's coming. <laughs> Are you starting to get there? I'm hoping so. This is something that we don't really dig into. We don't mind this to the depths of what our Savior had to go through. See, it makes my Savior bigger. It makes him more loving. It makes him more powerful. It makes him everything, everything that he says he is and more and beyond. Because I can't capture his holiness. I can't capture his righteousness. I can't capture everything he did for us. I can't but it's here. And he did it for us. He did it for us. The other thing is, just take a step back and you think of the diabolicalness of Satan. His levels of attack to keep Jesus off the cross was so multifaceted. Just so multifaceted. He's used Peter, a disciple, to tell, what are you doing, Jesus? You don't have to do that. This is the kingdom. Let's just take the kingdom. You've been crowned king. Let's move on. Get behind me, Satan. He entered into Judas Iscariot. I think so that literally there would be this huge riot and Jesus would be taken away, but not on a cross. Not, see, all, all, all Judas has to do, I'm sorry, all Satan has to do is keep him off the cross at Passover time, which is 3 o'clock on Friday afternoon. Kill him on a Sunday night. Something that's not in God's word. See, because that's the deal. If Satan can get God to do something that's not in his word, that's not absolutely spoken of, that's going to happen, then the Bible is wrong, it's a lie, and Satan wins. Because God would be a liar. Exactly. And it's all over. And then I would be the first one to leave. Now, I do say this. 
If there was anything that Satan could have, there was nothing left out as Jesus Christ is buried. I will tell you who is the happiest right now because Satan is going to go for the last level, the last thing that could keep God from being who he said he was. If Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, then it's not good enough. He was probably standing on that grave. Well, I can't say that, but holding the rock, right? And he, God doesn't work that way. He was gone. The rock was rolled away for us to see inside. I want to know my Jesus is gone. I want to know he's gone. That resurrection power was amazing. Satan was blown away. See, there's nothing for Satan to stand on anymore. He tried it all. He tried every possible thing. In fact, his last-ditch effort was to come to Jesus. Jesus... You don't need to die. You're not worthy of that. Well, not only are you not worthy, would you want to die for this Peter guy that's going to deny you? Or Judas Iscariot, he's been with you for three years, and you know he's going to betray you in moments. Why would you die for these weirdos? Plug in whatever word you want, because he's accusing the brother in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. He's accusing you today. He's accusing you before God. And Jesus is there being your defense attorney. You talk about defense attorneys. You roll through the yellow page and want to get an attorney. You don't need any of those. You have Jesus Christ who literally says, no, no, Satan. I paid for that. He accepted me as my Savior. I accepted, yeah, he accepted me as his Savior or her Savior. That's been paid for. That's been paid for. Paid in full. I'm wearing those marks. I shed the blood for those sins. <laughs> He's done. He's vanquished. He is a vanquished opponent today. Even though physical death happens, and your lives, my lives are affected by it every single day. The point of the matter is, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with that one that literally in the garden press, or in the olive press, literally was sweating blood for you, to die for you? Will you accept that gift by faith? Or will you reject it? That choice is yours. And there's only one choice that will get you to God, accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's easy, but it's the hardest thing you'll ever do because you have to get rid of self. See, there was two gardens. The Garden of Gethsemane, which is in the middle of the book. At the beginning of the book, there was a Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, Adam traded God for self. Think of that. Now, Adam, sort of to his credit, didn't know what self looked like out of the box. He knew what God looked like and literally knew what God looked like. It says they walked together in the afternoons on, not on Sunday afternoons, every afternoon. <laughs> what does that look like? Well, honey, we, we had lunch and, you know, we got that walk with God. Let's kind of get ready for that. It's, it's got to be a highlight of the day, right? And then along came, just like another day, the day that they sacrificed God. They sacrificed God's relationship to put self in the throne room. Wow. But let me show you something. Let's go to Revelation. Now, we started in Genesis just a second ago. Let's go to Revelation chapter 21. I want to show you the pinnacle decision that made chapter 21 of Revelation reality. Uh, and I'm just going to dive in here for a moment. Uh, Revelation chapter 21. Let's just start in verse 1. We'll just read four or five verses. Revelation 21, verse 1. And I, John, this is, this, who is this guy? 
This is John the Apostle. That was the guy that was there in the garden that was said to watch and pray. And he fell asleep like the other guys, right? <laughs> See, this is the encouragement to me is those guys were losers too. But they, they learned, they were victorious through failure. Verse 1, here we go. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. There shall be, I'm sorry, there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. The only reason that that can be there is because Jesus Christ said on the night that he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's your will and not mine. His submission was the key to victory. If he had not done that, I've said this numerous times today, Hell would be full. Heaven would be empty. God lied. The Bible's false. And the devil wins. But praise God. He did it. Because from this point forward, there's, there it, there's never has been a lack of courage. Uh, we'll see this next week. Literally. He says, guys, I'm sorry you're asleep again, but get up. It's time to go. And here comes the entourage. Here comes the thousand. I think there's a thousand people. And he meets them. He said, who are you looking for? I'm getting into next week, but hopefully it will bring you back, right? And who are you looking for? Well, Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. Boom, they hit the ground. It was so overpowering. <laughs> I love that. And then anyone that says Jesus is not the most powerful, powerful individual that's ever walked this earth doesn't know my Jesus. He was truly meek. Meek is not weak. Meek is power under control. He could have taken those thousand people and literally obliterated them. But he loved them too much. Peter, here's, here's sword swinging Peter, right? I'm getting in the next week. But, but he's been sleeping, right, when he should have been praying. I, again, how many times have I been not focused, not praying, not getting it, and I come out of this slumber, so to speak, and I'm doing things that aren't right? And here's Peter. He's, swing, he's not even a good shot, do you think he was aiming for the year? I'll show you. You watch how close I can get. No, no. I'm sure he was swinging for the neck and he missed and cut an ear off. And Jesus says, Peter. In fact, I got to read this verse. I think we'll find it in, in John chapter 18 because there's something here that I think is very, very important. The fact that Jesus Christ chose this moment. He chose these moments to literally give everything that was necessary for sin to be conquered. Chapter 18 of John. Now, we have this is one passage we haven't went to. Uh, John chapter 18, and let's take a look at verse 10. Oh, in fact, in fact, again, who should be following Jesus this night as he's betrayed? No one. Did I say that loud enough? Maybe. Okay. Let's take a look. In fact, Jesus gives him an escape route. Here we go. Verse, uh, verse 7. We'll just start there. Then asked he them again, whom seek you? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go. There. Who's these? Who are these? The disciples. He says, hey, just let these guys go. You're just looking for me. Just let these guys go. And here comes Peter to the rescue. 
Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it. Oh, I'm sorry, missed verse 9, very important. They need to go their way that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake, of them which thou gavest me have I lost none. Verse 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, smote the high priest's ear, ser servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Isn't that good he was named? It's going to go down in history. <laughs> Malchus, the guy that Peter cut his ear off. And then watch this. Pe Jesus said unto Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Watch. The cup, the cup, which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Do you see the decision has been made? Right there in the throes of the darkness, Next to those disciples, he literally is kneeling and crying and praying. In fact, i got to show you this, Hebrews chapter 5. Look at this. This is fantastic. Hebrews, Hebrews, let's go there. Hebrews chapter, did I do that? Let's see. Yeah, ver, chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5, and let's take a look at verse 7. Think of this. This gives us another detail into Jesus' the time, I think, is in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 7, chapter 5 of Hebrews. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications or petitions with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet he learned he obedience by the things which he suffered and being made perfect or complete, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all of them that obey him. Those three verses are so inclusive of what happened on that night. His decision impacted every single one, not only in this room, in multitudes of ages and eras. The only way you will get to God is through that man, that God-man that that night was issued the opportunity to choose to be a sin-bearer or just run away. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're closing down now. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Oh, I was thinking of something else, right? In fact, don't do that. Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Thinking of those two gardens, right? Got that in your mind? And in the middle of it is the Garden of Gethsemane. The one that pressed the Son of God literally to perform, to, to die for mankind. Look at this, verse 19. This depicts it perfectly. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, who's that? Adam. Many were made sinners. Got that right. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Two different gardens, two different men, two different outcomes. Moreover, look, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. How? By Jesus Christ, our Lord. <sighs> that was our Jesus on that night, just hours before he would hang on a cross. He made a decision that's impacted every single one of us in this room today. If you've accepted Christ... You have a destiny that cannot be failed, cannot falter, cannot go away because it's based upon what was paid. Jesus Christ paid everything necessary. Or you can reject that. You can say, no, I don't want any part of that. That's a choice you have. But the really cool thing is the Bible so far, everything that's unfolded, think of all of the promise that were made about Jesus Christ coming to this earth the first time. Every single one of those was fulfilled. And if you start stacking it up in laws of statistics, 
can't be. It's impossible if it wasn't true. It's just, it's impossible. That Bible is going to, it's describing for us just as much history in advance. I think we're going to close with Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. I think this is the words of, of advice that Paul gave, but I think Jesus would have given the same, not only to the disciples on that night, but it pretty much would be great advice for us today. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. I can just see Jesus giving to his disciples. Continue in prayer. Now, what, first of all, continue, what does continue mean? You're already praying. Right? Just keep praying. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. That verse is magnificent for us today. We find ourselves in an upheaval, the lack of truth, the lack of justice, the lack of anything that we really seem to be able to count on. And yet, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to just keep preaching Jesus. Because Christ died, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That is absolutely the bottom line that fixes my future. There's a whole lot of stuff going on that I can't fix. There's a whole lot of stuff that's not right. There's a whole lot of stuff that may not even get right for a while. And you know what? It doesn't matter because Jesus Christ died for my sins. And he died for your sins. Let's just keep preaching Jesus. Jesus never looked brighter than in a world we find ourselves today. We can't even count votes today. Montana, we got it wrong. A baby born alive. Over half of this state voted not to give it care. I can't fathom that. I can't get it. I can't either. But Jesus is still the Savior that was in the Garden of Gethsemane that suffered for me and he suffered for you and he suffered for every single person that will turn towards him. That's who we need to preach. That's who we need to talk about. And the brighter, I'm sorry, the darker the world, the brighter Jesus is. Praise God. Hallelujah. Fantastic. That's my Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, Abba, Father, I have no idea relationally what was torn apart, was torn asunder. For those hours where you, Father, turned your back on Jesus, God's Son, as he was bearing my sins and he was bearing the sins of the world what would seem like an infinite amount of sin the burden was amazingly heavy but that alienation father I don't know I can't even imagine but to think because of what he accomplished just as he, the closest relationship we could possibly imagine between God the Father and God the Son, is he reached out and said, Abba, Father, if there's any other way, may it be, but not, your, not my will, but thine be done. Because of that, Father, you've shown us in Romans that literally we have the same relationship. Abba, Father. We are sons, adopted sons of yours, placed because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, Father, our world's gone crazy. 
But I can't imagine what it would have been for those disciples on Friday evening watching their Jesus, my Jesus, suffering, sacrificed himself. They didn't take him by force. He sacrificed himself. He had just, they had witnessed or had people tell them that at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, dark, he shouted, it is finished. To those disciples, it would have seemed it was finished. But they didn't know the whole story. No, it wasn't over. It was just the beginning. It was the beginning of eternal life. That's fully and completely functional and accessed by your grace, Father, by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's salvation. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus took it all. He became sin for us, available to everyone that would trust him as their Savior. If there's anyone that doesn't know Jesus personally, the opportunity right now is there in the quietness of your heart. Lord God, I am a sinner. I can't do anything about it. I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior, the one that died for me, the one that shed his blood on Calvary's tree. He became my Passover. When you place your trust in Jesus, you have become a son of God. There's a relationship there. Things will change from the inside. But when you recognize that you are weak, sin has put you in a condition you cannot fix. No one can fix it for you apart from the Lord Jesus himself. Father, we have nothing but thanksgiving for what you've done. Nothing but praise, worship. You are in control. As we read in Revelation chapter 21, there's coming a day there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more tears. Just you. Love that we'll have never known until we're in your presence. Peace like we've never known until we're in your presence. Father, I ask that you'd go with each one of these. You know their individual lives. You know their situation. You know their struggles. You know, their, you know everything. You know their needs before they do. And I can't imagine again to say it any more clearly what Jesus has just done here under the point of death agonizing and yet still went back to his disciples to see how they were doing, giving them exhortation, watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. Father, may we learn the beauty of watching and praying. Go with us. Help us in our journey each day, the steps we take, that you would be honored, you would be glorified, and more would find the beauty of Jesus. And these things we ask in your son's name.